Kei ngā kai whakarungonunga hau e wha nau mai tahuti mai ki te reo irirangi o RNZ. This is Tiahi Ka, ko Justine Murray, a hau. We're into episode four of the video and podcast series Mā Tangirea, named after the historic former Māori Affairs Committee Room. Writer, blogger and commentator Morgan Godfrey joins Sandra Lee. In 1993, New Zealand celebrated 100 years of women's suffrage. And it was the first time a Māori woman would win a general electorate seat, becoming just the third wahine Māori to be elected to Parliament. She would go on to become the highest-ranked Māori of the 1999 Labour Alliance Coalition government. The Honourable Sandra Lee, leading the Manamotuhake Party to Parliament's front benches. Ko aura ki te manga, takitungu te waka, arohura te awa, poutini te tanifa, tuhuru te tangata, ngati waiwai te apu, ngai tahu tiwi. When you came into Parliament, you were the first Māori woman elected to a general seat. Can you tell us what that campaign was like? Um, rapid, really. Um, Richard Preble was desperate to hang on to a seat of Auckland Central. He was universally unpopular um, after many years of the new right agenda. I think generally, at a voting level, the public had reached a point where they pretty much thought that it was impossible to change the new right political agenda that had been driven through in our country through the 80s by Douglas and Preble. And they elected Bolger and thought that the sort of Farmer Brown traditional conservative National Party would re-emerge only to find that it was all about more asset sales and more of the same. So... Uh, 1993 was a turning point. The National Party had put up as a candidate Arthur Anai, who I think was their first Pacifica candidate. And um, I was able, therefore, to sort of come through the middle. And I've always said um, it was as much a vote against Richard Preble, my election to Parliament, as it was um, about a vote for me. Did it still take you by surprise? Because despite what was happening, you know, outside and the rest of the country, outside in government, people did want to vote against that Labour government. Did it still take you by surprise that as a Māori woman you were elected to a general electorate? Yes, it did. And even though our polling showed that I was going to win, for all that, in the back of my mind's eye, even though I'd never lost an election at the local body level, um... I couldn't see myself winning that seat. And, in fact, um, on the afternoon of the election, I went out to Piha, where, um, on the west coast, uh, and called down south to my tūpuna tūhuru on the west coast of the South Island and asked, me, asked him to uh, give me the mana mm. to take the long walk when I concede defeat to Richard Preble <laughs> with dignity. And fortunately, it was a long walk I didn't have yeah. to take. So, yeah, I was surprised, to be honest. 
But there are other tupuna in, in this room that we're in right now, Matangirea, uh, Fetu Tirikatini Sullivan's on the wall behind me, Iruwera Tirikatini is on the wall behind me as well. So I wanted to ask about your whanau and ask where did the politics come from? Well, Fetu, Fetu is actually, darling Fetu is my second cousin. We descend from two sisters. I grew up in an eclectic house. My mother is Poteni Ngaito from the west coast of the South Island. My father's a working class Londoner from England of Romani gypsy descent. My father was a socialist, so there was an ongoing political discussion in our house. Mm. Dad was a very active member of the Water Sober Workers Union. We marched against everything. That was my childhood, and I'm proud of it. Mm. We marched against apartheid. We marched to ban the bomb. We marched, you know, our scene boy was just <laughs> gone for a stroll. It is a risk. We might just join them in that march as long as it was a good cause. So I'm proud to have come from a very political background. Lee's political mentor was the Honourable Machu Rata. Rata was a Labour Māori MP for 26 years. His crowning achievement was as the architect of the Waitangi Tribunal. But in 1979, Rata was disillusioned with Labour and quit the party to form Manamotuhake. I've heard the story that the first time that you had contact with Machu Rata is you called him from Waiheke Island offering to help him in his campaign up north. Is that, is that a true story? I sent him a telegram, actually, from the Rocky Bay um, General Store. And I said, uh, right behind you, Sandra Lee Ngaitahu. And he sent me back, within an hour, a telegram that read, please organise a meeting of our people on the island. I want to explain to them why I'm leaving Labour. And, of course, he came, he spoke, he was amazing. And uh, we all signed up, so I'm proud to be a founding member of that political movement. He was, in my mind, one of the biggest figures of the 20th century, especially for Māori and actually for New Zealand as a whole. But I want to ask really quickly, do you think we're at risk of losing that memory of him? I fear that. Um, I think it's very important that the person who created the notion of the treaty process, Mm. the Waitangi Tribunal and its legislation should have a monument erected to him Mm. right here because New Zealand needs to contemplate what the landscape of our country would have looked like had he not had the foresight right back in the mid-70s in what was a very conservative racist country then, in my view, if he had not got that legislation through. And the relief that that has provided for the long-held grievances of our people all over Aotearoa has been enormous. Did he ever ring you up and tell you, you know, this is the legislation you've got to put through or anything like that? Was he, was he that close politically? Yes. Or did he take that stand back and let you go, go forward? He, he always let me have my head, always. But he would encourage me to stick up for myself internally within the alliance. How did his passing affect you? That was uh, one of the hardest things, mm. yeah. I felt very alone here after he died. 
um, it was very hard. Were there ways after, after his passing that you looked back and you thought, much who's prepared me for this? No, I felt um, very much adrift and whereas I could ring him at any time, day or night and get political guidance on, on um, issues here that are gone. Mm. And he would ring me, you know, sometimes several times a day, sometimes once a day, uh, depending on what we were dealing with. And my parliamentary secretary was my cousin, Leslie Lusich, and after he passed away, she accidentally dialed his number once and got his answer fine and came in my office crying her heart out. And we dialed it again and again so we could just hear his voice one more time. And I, so, no, uh, it was a, a huge loss, but more importantly, for the whole country and for our people. Yeah, you entered government in 1999. I wonder what the negotiations were back at that time. The alliance was entering with the Labour Party. Were they as tough as you imagined that they were going to be? No, they were easy. Um, because both Labour and the Alliance had learned the hard way in '96 how not to get into government when you could have. The first person Helen Clark approached about the possibility of not making the same mistake in 1999 was me, and she has said so publicly. The reason for that was that I had never been a member of the Labour Party, so I hadn't come out um, with bad blood from a split in the Labour Party post Roger Douglas. So she asked me what I thought about it, and I said, well, it's essential, and that we've lost three years is not good. And I said, you know, I, I, I'm going to, as soon as I finish speaking to you, as a loyal deputy to Jim Anderton, I'll be going straight to tell him you called me in here. Mm. And I will be telling him why we need to open these lines of communication. But anybody with half a brain on the left knew that that's what had to happen. And that's what the public wanted under MNP. Did you do, end up developing quite a close relationship with Helen Clark? Because I know that in that term, 99 to 2002, that she came out quite strongly in support of you and the media and various other places. So were you two personally close or merely just politically close? Politically close. Um, she is an incredibly intelligent, driven person. She was an ex-Minister of Conservation, so it made my job easy. As a, as a Minister of Conservation myself, she understood the portfolio, she understood the fact that the Department of Conservation had been underfunded from its inception, all of the issues that the NGOs, like Forest and Bude, have been campaigning for, she was across. So she basically gave me my head, and it was a pleasure to work with her, quite frankly. I felt a bit more of a collegiate spirit from her sometimes than I did many of my own alliance <laughs> colleagues. I wanted to talk about some of the things that you had actually put a stop to, so things like the logging of native forests on the West Coast, things like the Macrae's Mine on the West Coast as well. I wanted to ask how that felt to you personally to be able to put a stop to those things in your talking, in your home area? Wonderful. <laughs> it was like getting let loose in the lolly shop. <laughs> no more marching with a banner or writing submissions with Forest and Bird. Wow, we've got the keys. <laughs> Let's rumble. <laughs> so it was that, 
it's fair to say, though, I didn't win the hearts and minds of Pakehas on the west coast of the <laughs> South Island, and they did tend to turn up on the doorstep out there quite regularly and often. But it was wonderful because when you've spent a long time in opposition and having to lobby, to be able to be in government, be it ever so briefly, and get in and do 132,000 hectares of rainforest protected. As Minister of Conservation, you secured $200 million for the National Biodiversity Plan. You helped clear places like Campbell Island of pests. But I want to quickly look at your role as Associate Māori Affairs Minister because I don't think that gets as much attention. Did you have much responsibility there? Parikura was a minister. Uh, originally, Dover was the minister, but um, uh, there was some controversy around that, and then Parikura became the minister, and Tariana and I. So there were four of us, and uh, Sunga Tatala was the chief executive of TPK at that time. And we worked well together. You know, there was no conflict or um, problems there. There's plenty of work to do. The theory was... Uh, that the government is a reforming government will be closing the gaps and I guess the statistics today speak for themselves those gaps didn't get closed and still haven't been closed and the disparities are still there here's my problem with the thing is that even the mainstream media place great emphasis on the notion of TPK and the role of the Minister of Māori Affairs but in truth, TPK is a completely powerless, moneyless, essentially, entity of a government department. When it was established, the theory was that its role would be as a monitoring agency, that it wouldn't be a little bit of the pie for Māori coming from the Crown, but a monitoring agency making sure that Māori were getting all the pieces, the pies, through the state services. And that never happened. And I'm all for the rebuilding of a real Ministry of Māori Development, not centred on the corporate model, but those ordinary citizens who are Māori who are out there that are overrepresented in all the negative statistics, undereducated, underfed, underhoused, those folk. Formed in 1991, the Alliance was a grouping of left-wing parties, including New Labour, the Greens, the Democrats and Manamotu Hake. Lee was both the leader of Manamotu Hake and the deputy leader of the Alliance. We know that in that term, 99 to 2002, there were all sorts of internal issues between the different factions within the parties, and that included the different factions within Manamotu Hake. There was the leadership challenge to you. Did you see that coming back then? Yeah. Yeah, Tuhoi went out for a smoke mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> at Peritahi Marae during our Huyatai on Waiheke Island. Bless them, they were our staunchest branch, and they were meant to put down the tonu. And unfortunately, because they missed the moment. Um, Watia Marae, Willie Jackson's Marae, put it down mm. while they were outside. And um, so from that moment, for all of us long-standing members of our party, Manamotaki, of which Willie wasn't, the writing was on the wall from right then. And 
Part of the thinking behind that was that there was a school of thought at the high level in the Alliance that felt that the parties that went to make up the Alliance were redundant, that the Alliance, alliance proper was a political movement, the relevant movement, and so therefore parties like um, Mana Motuhake and the Democrats were as electoral entities, surplus to requirements. Now, the Greens Party, which was part of the alliance, had seen the writing on the wall, and they pulled the ribcord and decided to, decided to bail and stand as an independent party. Um, the rest of the parties in the alliance didn't. So the rolling of Manamotahaki essentially um, at Waitia Marae at that time was actually two-pronged, in my opinion. One, it was to help facilitate the shove towards the merging of all the political parties that were in the alliance, and two, probably the first steps towards um, challenging the leadership of the alliance, both Jim Anderton and myself. Do you think that it's ever possible for a Kaupapa Māori party to be in a relationship with a predominantly Pākehā party, whether it's Manambutu Hake or the Māori Party in National or some future party? Do you ever think there's a future down that road? Well, like it or not, coalitions are the name of the game under MMP. That's the first thing. But would I endorse uh, the notion of an alliance-type model with a Māori party within it? Definitely not. And in fact, with the benefit of hindsight, but I thought it anyway prior to, the only valid political parties within the alliance with any long-staying um, validity, in my view, with the Green Party mm-hmm. and Manamotuhaki, or a Māori party. Mm-hmm. That's what MNP allows for, realistically, in this place. You were in Parliament when the Naitahu settlement bill went ahead. Uh, Fetu Tidikatini Sullivan was also in Parliament. And I understand you were both critics of this bill. Can you explain why? Well, what you've got to remember is back then it was envisaged that the Naitahu settlement would be the first uh, as it was, because of the issues that arose from it, Tainui settled first. But that was the intention. It was introduced to Parliament with all standing order, under urgency, with all standing orders suspended. Outrageous. Those sort of provisions normally apply to when a government's going to announce they're going to war. Furthermore, even though it got referred to this very select committee, the minister made it very clear that the select committee could not make any amendments whatsoever to the, from memory, 560-page bill. The bill had a provision in it that said this new corporate entity, Te Runanga o Ngaitahu, shall represent Ngaitahu, every one of us, for all purposes. The overwhelming majority of the people who came and made submissions made submissions against the structural arrangements in the legislation. This wasn't a ngaitahu, including myself, who were against the notion of a settlement for our people. Of course we all wanted them. What we didn't want, though, was that the proprietorial rights, the mana of the hapu, the control of the assets that belonged in a small block 
to your immediate extended family or whatever, that they weren't taken away. And the irony is that since the Ngaitahu settlement, the length and breadth of this land, whatever iwi you look at, north, south, east or west, this whole marginalisation of the hapu, the insistence by the Crown of a corporate model, the way that it gets rolled out with these pregnant conditions um, has caused division, sadness, anxiety and pain for every single iwi, every one of whom are wanting to pursue, of course, a settlement along standing grievances. When your mokos ask you, what's your proudest achievement, Nan, what would you say to them? Them. <laughs> <laughs> Politically, give me the political answer. Politically. Um, no doubt 132,000 hectares of the ngahere and my rohe was a good feeling. Um, I think some of the best things to celebrate um, for me have been um, stopping things rather than starting things. Mm. Rewriting the Local Government Act was important, especially for Māori. When I got at it, and it was a, a large piece of legislation, a thousand pages long, it was so antiquated it had rules about um, removing horse poop from, from the public roads and the regulations on setting the local town clock. It was picked up from England and dumped on Māori and the rest of New Zealand. So to actually be able to rewrite the whole damn lot of it um, and to put the treaty for the first time in that important and relevant legislation for our people, because it's at that council level, wherever it might be, the Bay of Plenty, Hokitika, wherever it is, that's our people's first interface quite often. So to be able to do that um, felt good. Mm -hmm. You know, I was glad that I got away with it. Sadly, having retired from Parliament, when National got back in, um, they immediately set about amending it, amending <laughs> it as fast as they possibly could. But the treaty's still there. Mm, another thing they kept were Māori seats in local government as well. And talking about Māori seats, I wonder about your advice to the next generation of not just Māori seat holders but of Māori MPs in this place. Having come through here, you were a party leader, you were a minister. What would you tell those aspiring, that next generation of MPs? I think every single Māori member of parliament who comes here, no matter what their political party, no matter what their gender, no matter what their every, have a fundamental duty of care when they reach this place to ensure that they have and hold five things Māori on their hands, on their fingers, that they carry to this place for change, for the good, for our people. And when in this place, the lifestyle, the status, the pay packet becomes more important than those treasures, then it's time for you to leave. Mm. But the important thing is to remember to these young ones coming in now, it's not all on your shoulders. It's not all up to you. Our people have been here before you. Our people will be coming. They're the cavalry. They're the reinforcements after you. Do the very best you can, mm. but it's not all up to you. Mm. 
Ma Tangiraya, presented by Morgan Godfrey, with former Alliance Party MP and former leader of Mana Motuhake, Sandra Lee. A fascinating look back at her career in Parliament. Ma Tangiraya is a six-part video and podcast series, all available now on the podcast page at rnz.co.nz. Kuera te kaupapa mō tēnei wiki hoki mai a te rātapu e tū mai nei Mauri tū, Mauri ora. Oh, me.